Welcome to the Dick Schroeder Podcast. Dick draws his teaching from a deep well of love for the Bible and 50 years of strategic ministry among university students. Enjoy this episode and remember, your Father in Heaven loves you. For the next four sessions, we're going to be talking about spiritual warfare. And one of the one of the dangers that we run into when we begin to talk about and focus on Satan and the powers of darkness is that there's a tendency to get overbalanced. And and all of God's truth, it, it's like a teeter-totter, or you know what a mobile looks like? They hang on a string, and there's all these different things that hang in balance. And that's the way God's truth is. Truth hangs in a dynamic balance based on God himself. And that's why we can't always write down on paper and, and, and make a legalistic view of theology and of God because God is the living God. And although principles are true and we can make um, uh, you know theological assertions and we can say this and this is true, yet it all hangs in the person of God. That's why we can never get along with just a rule book. Now, the Bible is not just a rule book, but we can never get along with just a book of rules. We always need God himself to give us the proper interpretation and the proper balance of these kinds of things. And so when we talk about the powers of darkness and the powers that uh, that are opposed to God, we need to realize that we're, we're talking about a balance. Some people go to one extreme and they say that You don't need to talk about the devil. You just obey God and just don't worry about the devil and he won't bother you. That is an unbiblical stand because we have to recognize that we have an enemy and that as we are seeking to advance the kingdom of God, we're going to be forced to face the powers of darkness. And that can happen in all kinds of ways, which we'll talk about in the the sessions to come. We need to be careful, though, that we don't get on the opposite end of the balance and we start attributing everything to the devil. How many of you have known people like that? You know, it's like the devil's everywhere. The devil is behind this bush. The demons are here. And, and you almost go, oh, that's it's weird and mystical and it's crazy. And that also is an un- unbiblical balance. What we're hoping to establish by looking at at, at, at God's word during these next four sessions is to try to create a, a, a biblical balance that recognizes our neck, recognizes our enemy, who he is and how he operates and how do we deal with him in a biblical kind of way. We need to come to the place where we're not afraid of the devil. We need to respect his power and wisdom and, and, and his whole kingdom. It's a very formidable kingdom, but we need not be afraid of it because of who we are in Jesus Christ. And, and not only does, does God want us to be able to not be intimidated by his kingdom, but he wants us to move against it and to destroy it. That's one of the privileges God has given us as his people is that he wants to destroy the powers of darkness through his through the vehicle of the church. And that's one of the great inheritances that we have as God's people. So when, we, when we're going to be emphasizing now during when we talk a lot about the works of Satan and, and what he does. But will you keep this balance in your mind? See, because we have to focus on to talk about it. I don't want you to get off onto this thing 
uh, that where some people think that everything is of the devil, because that that is not that is simply not true. In First Timothy one eighteen, Paul says this to Timothy. He says, "This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may fight the good fight." I'm sure all of you recognize that we are in a battle. We are in a spiritual battle, and we are in a battle that is affecting the destiny of human beings. We're not just in a a theoretical warfare. We're not just in kind of charismatic fun and games, but we are in a battle that the destiny of human beings is at stake. We have a real enemy. There is the true and the living God, and there's people every day that are making choices whether to serve God or whether to serve themselves. And in essence, when you serve yourself, you are serving Satan and the powers of darkness. And Paul tells Timothy, he says, Timothy, my son, this precious uh, man in the Lord that he was developing up and training and discipling, he told Timothy that you need to fight the good fight. And all of us need to recognize, and I'm sure most of you recognize, that we are in a fight. And we are in a battle. You, when, you're, when you become a Christian, you enlisted in God's army, whether you liked it or not. And we don't have an option of whether we're going to fight or not. The option is, are we going to be victorious or are we going to be, or are we going to be defeated? And the more that you desire to lay a hold of what God has for your life, the more real the opposition of Satan will become in your life. I don't say that to scare anybody. That's just reality. As you read the scripture and the testimony of men and women that have served God, there's always been opposition. And that's to be expected because when you start putting pressure on the powers of darkness, they don't just roll over and say, okay, you win, we lose. But they they fight back with everything that they have. And we need to recognize that, that we're in a spiritual battle. And just as in a real war, there's casualties. So in the spiritual battle, there's casualties. Those two of the three stories that Dave Gable shared this morning, I know of the two people of which he spoke. And those are spiritual casualties. I hope that the, these two people that Dave spoke about are, 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 are reconciling their relationship with God. I hope they're not eternally lost. But see, they stepped into a realm and saw victories and they were, they were moving in spiritual power. And then... That the forces of the enemy were allowed to come and sift their lives. Remember when uh, Jesus talked to Peter and said, Peter, he says, the devil's been demanding to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you that you'll be able to stand. And that's the whole thing of his denial of Christ. In the pressure of those circumstances, Peter denied Christ. And, and, and that, was, that was a sifting that was orchestrated by the powers of darkness. And the devil will want to sift your life. When you start saying, I'm going to follow Jesus, I am going to stand up and, and, and be counted for the kingdom of God. I want to be a soldier in God's army. Then the devil's back there and saying, okay, I'm going to sift this person. I'm going to sift you. Let's see what he's made of. Now, that's just a reality that you have to, we just have to accept as Christians. Now, God is with us in those testings. He uses those testings really to eternally strengthen us because we haven't seen the end product yet. And we won't see that until the judgment day. God even uses the, the haranguings and the roarings of the devil 
to give glory and praise to his name. And so anytime trials come into our lives, it's allowed by God in order to strengthen us. You see, you realize that we're being prepared for eternity. See, God is God has got eternal dreams and plans for us as human beings. And it's more than just the 60, 70, 80 years that we live here. One, one guy put it this way. He said that life is like a two-week training course for eternity. And to the degree that we allow God's truth and his victory to be worked out in our lives, that is preparing us for something in eternity of which we don't even understand. Paul said, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, and it hasn't even entered into our wildest imagination all that God has prepared for those that love him. And so we, we, we need to have the per- internal perspective as much as we can in our lives that the trials and the difficulties that we go through in, in, in this period we call life, it's just a preparation for something far grander and greater than any of us can imagine. And I do know this, that on the other side, we're going to be so grateful that we followed Jesus. We're going to be so grateful that we did what he wanted us to do because then it will be worth it all. Whatever Paul said that he says it this way, he says that the the light afflictions of this present age aren't even worthy to be compared to what's going to be revealed on the other side. So we have to view spiritual warfare in that context. And Paul was able to call getting stoned, getting beaten up, being maligned and having just a terrible reputation in the earth. And he said they're just light afflictions. He said, compared to what what God is doing in our lives, strengthening us and preparing us for eternity, they're just light afflictions. So don't ever fear what the devil will do in your life because he's always on a leash. The devil can only go as far as God allows him. And when the the Lord would allow him to enter into your life, I don't don't mean in the sense of being possessed. I just mean his influence coming into your life. It's, it's, It's because God wants to teach you to strength. He wants to teach you and equip you to be strengthened and to overcome them in the name of the Lord. Let me begin this morning by talking about the two realms that we live in. All of us live in two realms. We live in a natural realm and we live in a spiritual realm. After the fall of man, after Adam and Eve fell and their communication with God was was largely severed, And their spirit, in a sense, died in that it was separated from communion with God. Then the natural became the preeminent. And and different different times through history, history seems to kind of go in a cycle of sometimes the natural is is really emphasized and and men get very materialistic and natural-minded And then after that plays its course, it tends to go to the other extreme where there's a spiritual mindedness, but it's it's generally an occult and supernatural. It's a calling out to the demonic world and entering into communion and alliances with demonic power. It seems to me that where we're at in America is that we're emerging from a, a very materialistic kind of mindset. And once again, we're very interested in the supernatural. Uh, you know, science is looking into parapsychology. Science is trying to establish the existence of another dimension and another realm. But when it's not done under the lordship of Jesus Christ, what we're doing is we're playing into the hands of Satan. And we're actually we're, we're toying and playing with things that the, the scripture forbids because of the destructive power of the enemy. 
So all of us live, see, in two realms. We, we are aware this morning as we sit in this room that um, we're sitting on chairs. Either we're comfortable or we're not comfortable. The temperature is either too warm or too cold or just right. And we're aware of what is happening in the physical realm. But spiritually, there are things happening in this room that we're not aware of with these eyes. But with our spiritual eyes, we learn. And, and as, we, as we grow in maturity, we, we begin to sense what is happening spiritually. If we were able to see into the spirit world today, what would we see here today? What would be here? Angels, sure. At least everybody at least has one guardian angel. So there's, you know, 30, 40 angels in this room. And anytime there's worship and praise going on, angels come from miles because they love to worship God. So they just, they pack the room, you know, and they're, they join us in our praise. See, we're largely unaware of that. But that is going on, and that, that realm is just as real as our natural realm. When you're born again, I believe that your spirit is rejuvenated and, and, a, and an awareness of spiritual the spiritual realm begins to take place. And it's my opinion that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is an initiation into the spiritual world. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is an, is an anointing that begins to take us into the realm of the spiritual, of, of the spiritual. And I think one of the biggest assets and the biggest reasons why God wants us to be baptized in the Holy Spirit is so that we might discern what is going on in the other realm. You know, it used to be that we, that people that heard voices, what did we call them? Call them crazy. Wow, this guy hears voices. He sees spirits. It used to be 10 years ago that people would think, man, you're crazy. You know, those kinds of things don't exist. Today, people are more receptive to that because they're, they're understanding that there is a, another realm there, a supernatural realm. And it's been, and it's given to us as Christians to learn to walk effectively in both realms. It's a, it's a challenging thing. And if we're going to discern the workings of Satan, we must become aware of the spiritual realm. A good example of this is found in 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. And this is Elisha. And an interesting thing, thing happens to him in verse 8. It says, Now the king of Syria was warring against Israel, and he counseled his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. And the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass by this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God had told him and thus warned him so that he guarded himself there more than once or twice. Now the heart of the king of Syria was enraged over this thing and he called his servants and said to them, would you tell me which one of us is for the king of Israel? In other words, he was accusing someone of being a betrayer. Someone was leaking information and being an inside spy because every time the king of Syria would, would invade Israel. Israel would have advanced knowledge of it, and they would fortify that place, and, and the, the whole military maneuver would be thwarted. So this, the king of Syria is saying, all right, which one of you is the spy here? Listen to what they say. They said, um, no, my lord, O king, but the Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. I love it. God's secret agents. See, Elisha walked so closely with God, and this had to do with his anointing as a prophet. God would talk to him about what the king of Syria was going to do, and so he had inside information. Do you know that when you have an ongoing and growing relationship with God, you've got an inside track into what's happening? 
Because God, who knows all things, is willing to share with us. And as, as it is needed and it has, as it has to do with us carrying out the will of God in our lives, God will give us advanced information on things. So the king of Syria said, go, go and find where he is. And they told him he's down at Dothan. So the king of Syria says, send the army down there and let's get this guy. One man of God versus the army. See, see how effective one man of God or one woman of God can be? Enough to threaten a whole army. So the king sends the army down. Now, and they wake up in the morning, and it says, it says in verse 15, Now the attendant of the man of God had risen and gone out early, and he saw the army with horses and chariots circling the city. And his servant, in a panic, woke up Elisha and said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And listen to what Elisha says. He says, Do not fear those who do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those that are with them. And you can just see the look of this servant scratching his head and he counts Elisha and me, that's two. And then he starts counting all the chariots and the horsemen, probably hundreds, maybe thousands of them. And he goes, Elisha, you've lost your mind. But listen to what Elisha prays. He says, Oh Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And the servant let out a hallelujah because he saw the forces of God were with the prophet. And indeed, those who are with us are greater than those who are with the enemy. But see, it took a spiritual revelation in order to discern that. And that's why as soldiers... We need to have spiritual revelation in order to be effective in fighting the powers of darkness. Let me contrast for you the two realms that we live in. Now, we we understand we live in both realms simultaneously. We need to realize that we live in both realms simultaneously. Let me uh, give you a, a series of six things that compare the two realms. Number one, the first realm is visible. That's the realm, the natural realm that we live in. In contrast to that, the other realm is invisible. The other realm is invisible. And that's what makes it a little more difficult to deal with because we're not dealing with tangible things. We're dealing with things that are, are, are viewed by faith, that are, that are seen with the eyes of faith. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, he says, Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing in us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, see there's the natural realm, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal or temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Okay, see the realm that we see is a, is a temporary realm. That's the second comparison. Second characteristic of the visible realm is is, is it's temporary as opposed to the other realm, which is eternal. See, the realm that we don't see is going to last forever. This realm is going to change. The third characteristic is that the natural realm is is a material realm. See, it's a a realm where we can touch, smell, taste, and feel. The other realm is... Is, a, is an immaterial realm. See, it's a spiritual realm. It's a spiritual dimension. John 4, 24 tells us that 
God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Fourth characteristic is the natural realm is earthly. Of course, the opposite of that is heavenly. The other realm is heavenly. John 3.12, Jesus says, If I told you of earthly things and you you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? Number five, the visible realm is natural. The other realm is supernatural. Supernatural. 2 Corinthians 15, 46-49, Paul talks about the image of the, of the earthly and the image of the heavenly. And then finally, number six, the visible realm is a realm where there's limitations. But in the eternal realm, in the invisible realm, all things are possible. And the scripture for that is Luke 18, 27. That's where with God, all things are possible. See, that's the other realm that we're to live in. The man that lives his life apart from God largely lives in the, in the visible, temporary, material, earthly, natural, and limited realm, doesn't he? In fact, that's where most people live their lives. Wholly in the context that there is no supernatural or there's no supernatural that influences my life. Most people live unaware of the work of God in their lives as well as the work of the powers of darkness. They're just, you know, blinded, um, just, just unaware of what is happening in those realms. But God wants us to be aware of what happens in both realms. Have you ever heard the uh, saying that says, you're so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good? Ever heard that? Somebody that's so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. See, that's the person that's gotten too far in the other realm and has forgotten their role and responsibilities in the natural realm. But we also need, need to be careful that we don't get so earthly minded that we're no heavenly good. So we get so tied to the natural realm that we lose sight of what, what God wants to do in our lives. I think one of the uh, key, oh, I, I guess, in, how many of you remember the movie Star Wars? I really enjoyed the Star Wars series. And I think that one of the reasons for the popularity of that film is that that, it, that, that film coincided with a time when a hunger for the supernatural was beginning to emerge in our society again. And people really identified with this unseen, unseen thing of the force. Remember in the last, uh, in the last scene of the picture, Luke was going in to, uh, to, to nuke the, the space station and he had the instruments out and he made a couple of runs and they missed. And then you hear Obi-Wan Kenobi's voice saying, Luke, the force. And so Luke turns off his technical instruments and he goes in by the unseen force and he, and he scores a bullseye and blows the space station up. So he uses the unseen world. And see, people really, that resonated with people because of the hunger that we have for something more that, that, that is natural. And that is not so far off as to where we're to be as Christians. Not that we're working with a force. We're lurk, working with the living God. It's not just an impersonal force. That's, that's an Eastern thought. But we are working with the living God who has filled us with his spirit. And the Bible says that all who are led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God. So God wants us to be acquainted with that realm, the realm that is not so easily explained away with the mind. In fact, the Bible says that the natural man does not understand and even rejects the things of the Spirit. That says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So we need to, be, we need to learn to become spiritually minded 
so as to understand the moving of the Holy Spirit. Now, you understand when I say that, I'm not saying that we throw common sense out the window. So I'm not advocating us becoming raving mystics. You know, they are just floating around being led. Have you met people like that that are just, you know, what shirt should I put on this morning? Should I have mustard on my hot dog or ketchup or not eat? You know, people are just kind of wacky because like they're always trying to hear spiritual information. That's not what walking in the spirit is all about. But walking in the spirit will entail the Lord communicating to us information and impressions that we need to know in order to fulfill his will. Several examples of these two realms. Let me just just throw a, a couple of scriptures at you quite quickly. Hebrews 12.1 says that we are encompassed by a cloud of witnesses. Now, who are the cloud of witnesses? Who's up there? Yeah. People around us? Okay. Um, I don't think it's referring to those living now. Okay. Who, who's in the cloud of witnesses today? Do you know any of them? Sure, exactly. See, all the saints that have passed away. David's up there. He's in the grandstands. That's what the Living Bible says. Since since we have so many in the grandstands watching what is going on in the earth, let us take courage from that and run the race with endurance that's set before us. So the cloud of witnesses, I believe, are are the saints of all ages that have done their work and now they're watching us as we are in the relay race. See, it's like God's work is like a relay race. It started, it started with, uh, oh, Abraham. Go back, go back to Abraham. And then it's passed on from generation to generation. And when you finish your work here, you go home and wait until God's purposes in, in history are finished, until Jesus comes back. But now the baton, see, is in our hands. God has given us the baton, and we're running the race. And we need to be effective in the way that we run so that we, we do what God wants us to do. See, it's our, the spotlight is on us. All of the attention of heaven is watching the church because we are the current soldiers that are fighting against the powers of darkness. I had an interesting experience some years ago uh, that, that the Lord made this real to me. I was praying with a friend. I was going to school with Youth with a Mission in Hawaii at the time. And I was praying with a friend who who had felt the Lord had spoken to him about a, a, a ministry in videotaping and media. He he had felt that the Lord had spoken to him about leaving Hawaii and going to Switzerland, and just things nothing had come together. And he was feeling discouraged. It's, it's the time of Dave, like Dave talked about this morning, the time from your anointing till the time of your ordination. So he was going through some of those struggles. And so we went out by the ocean and we prayed. We just sought the Lord and we were interceding together and just asking God for wisdom and to respond. And after we had interceded for a while, I felt the Lord saying, just praise me, worship. And so we just were sitting, you know, on the, on the corner out by the ocean on this little street, just praising and worshiping God. And as, as, as that was happening, the Lord gave me an awareness. I didn't have a 3D technical or picture or anything. But I had an awareness of the cloud of witnesses. And it's like in my spirit, I realized that there were, there were saints that were right here. Like you could almost touch them. They were so close. And they were going, you can trust God. He's faithful. Hang in there. He'll do what he said. And, I, and, and ever since that time, it's like in my eye, I look up and I know they're there. 
They're up there and they're cheering us on. They're, they're in the grandstands and they're saying, go for it. You can trust God. Abraham's up there saying, I trusted God 25 years for a son. And he gave me one. He gave me my son Isaac supernaturally. And he's saying, you can trust God. And that's, see, that's why we receive encouragement from the accounts of these people in the Bible. Because they're, they're not dead. They're up there and they're living and they're saying, they're, they're, their echo is, is ringing through heaven. They can, they're saying, trust God. He's, he's, he's totally trustworthy and he's going to come through for you. See, there's all these echoes in heaven that are declaring that God is faithful. So ever since that time, there's always been a, uh, an awareness of the cloud of witnesses that is, that is surrounding us and that is giving us encouragement. In Luke 9, verses 28 through 36, we have the account of the transfiguration where Jesus was transfigured before Peter, James, and John. And they saw the glory of the other world. And they were just blown away by what they saw. And see, the other, the supernatural world broke in upon the natural. And, and they saw Jesus in his glory. In Acts 7, verses 54 through 60, as Stephen was was being stoned. He 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 stood up, and just as they were beginning to stone him, he said, "Behold, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father." And they were so incensed by that that they stoned him and murdered him, and he became the first martyr of the early church. But Stephen see saw into heaven, and he saw Jesus standing up off the throne to welcome him home. You know, he saw into heaven itself. In Acts 23, verses 1 through 10, this is really a humorous passage because Paul is on trial and he gets the Pharisees and the Sadducees arguing about whether there's a supernatural dimension or not. And, and the Pharisees take his side and they say, well, who knows whether or not this man has heard, had a dream or a vision or maybe a spirit has spoken to him. And he turned the whole trial into a mess because they started the Sadducees. They didn't believe there was a supernatural. So they started arguing and Finally, the, the commander shut the whole thing down because it was in chaos. But Paul used the issue of the supernatural to do that. In 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 4, Paul goes to heaven. And he says that he was, he was taken up into heaven. And there he saw things that it's not lawful for a man to see. And he heard words that he couldn't even tell us because they belong to the heavenly realm. And see, Paul was taken up and had the privilege of seeing that. And then finally, the book, the whole book of Revelation. If you study and read the book of Revelation, what you see there is you see the distinction between the natural and the spiritual. And if you, if you study the book of Revelation with that in mind, you'll see that the book of Revelation is, is declaring the ultimate victory of Christ. Because what you see is you see Jesus growing stronger and stronger in heaven and you see things falling apart on the earth with wars and famines and third of the earth being burned and all these just incredible atrocities. And what's happening in heaven? They're saying, King of kings and Lord of lords. He's riding his white horse for the cause of truth and righteousness. And the devil's thrown out of heaven and see his kingdom falls apart. And that's why the, the, the message of the book of Revelation is Christ's ultimate victory over every evil thing. Hallelujah. It's, it's a book of victory. But you see very clearly things happening on earth. Then they flip back. Things happening in heaven. See, John sees this panoramic vision of the end times and what's going to happen at the conclusion of history. And we're to take courage from that because that's the book of victory. Even though it looks 
defeat. It looks like the devil's going to win on the earth. In heaven, Jesus is already reigning and ruling, and he's ready to judge Satan's kingdom. So we are in a war, aren't we? We're in a war. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4, he says, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. When you think about being in a war, what kinds of things do you think about? What do you think about when you're a soldier? What do you have to give up to be a soldier? You have to give up your life, don't you? Well, your life is on the line all the time when you're in active combat. Sacrifice. You don't get good home-cooked meals. Sometimes you're lucky if you get anything to eat at all. You have to suffer the pain of wounds. You suffer the mental anguish of seeing other people killed. See, in, in, in warfare today... We have we're, we have kind of antiseptic warfare because we can push buttons. You know, someone can sit in a booth and push a button and, and then go home and eat dinner. It, war doesn't touch him. But but up until up until the 20th century, war meant going out and sticking people with knives, shooting them with guns and bows and arrows, and seeing the yuck of people being ripped open and the, the blood and all of that. It's an awful thing to see people dismembered. It's an awful thing for a human being to watch. And that, but that's what warfare was all about. It was ugly and it was, it was uh, humiliating and it was painful. And you'd see your friends die and you'd have to endure all of the, the anguish that goes with war. And there's a, there's a dimension of that that happens in spiritual warfare. If you're going to be an effective soldier, the next verse, verse 4 of 2 Timothy 2 says, any good soldier does not entangle himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. We're going to be good soldiers. There's going to be a giving up of legitimate things in our lives, things that are good in order to be the most effective soldier that Jesus wants you to be. Let me say that, that that's something that Jesus will teach you. See, I can't stand up here and say, well, if you want to be a good soldier, don't watch TV, don't listen to rock music, got to give up Coke which obviously God has not spoken to me about yet. <laughs> so you can't lay things down. That's something that works out between you and Jesus. Now, I don't watch TV and I don't have a TV because it affects my ability to commune with God. I find it to be a real distracting thing. So I don't have a TV. So that's part of the cost that the Lord has spoken to me about. And then see, Jesus will, Jesus will instruct you in the way that and, and how you're to walk in areas that you're, you, you will need to give up to be a soldier. For a lot of us, I know what it's going to be. It's going to be giving up other things to spend time in prayer. Because when you, when you really boil spiritual battles down, spiritual battles are won in prayer. And not just a prayer where we sit down and say, Oh Lord, you know, bless this meeting, bind Satan, amen, we're done. Spiritual battling is, is not a glib little prayer like that. Not that it's wrong to pray prayers like that, but when we enter into spiritual praying, there's a dimension of wrestling and anguishing that, that is, that's something that God has to teach you how to do. And it's costly. And it probably will mean in our lives giving up of other things to spend time in prayer. Something that I'm still learning and God's still dealing with me about. But there's a cost that goes with that. Just like there's a natural cost for you to be a soldier. <clears throat> The ultimate war that is going on in the, in the universe is a moral war. The question that is being fought over is this question. Is God a good God? 
That's the basic battle point, is that is God a good God? God maintains that he's a God of righteousness, of truth and love and mercy. Satan maintains that God is selfish, self-willed, selfishly ambitious and manipulative and dominating just like he is. And the way we live our lives will determine our answer to that question. Is God a good God? See, that's the, that's the basic issue that is being fought. And Satan, is who is the liar, he's the father of all lies, he maintains that God is not a good God. And so who are we going to believe? Are we going to believe the devil? Or are we going to believe what God has said about himself? Let me give you a brief description of the enemy. I'm going to just give you a whole bunch of scriptures Probably the best thing is if you want to jot these down afterwards, you could come up and just copy these because I don't have time to take a lot of time. But this is what the scripture describes Satan to be. In Job 1.6, he's called our adversary. In Matthew 4.3, he's called the tempter. And he's the one who wants to slip you up. He wants to see you fall. Matthew 16.23 says he's a stumbling block. John 8.44 says he's the a liar and the father of all lies. No truth can come from his mouth. John 10.10 says that the devil comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. John 14.30 says he's the ruler of this world. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says that he blinds the the eyes of the unbelieving. In Acts 10.38, it says that he oppresses people. 2 Corinthians 12.7 says that he buffets, and that means to pound with the fist. He, he works you over when he can. 2 Corinthians 11.14 says he disguises himself as an angel of light. So he's a chameleon. He's very deceptive. Ephesians 2.2 says he's the prince of the power of the air. Ephesians 6.6 6 says that he flow, uh, throws flaming missiles at believers. 1 Thessalonians 2.18 says that he thwarts the will of God. 2 Timothy 2.26 says he holds people captive to do his will, like putting chains, putting people on leashes or on puppet strings. That's the image that's given there. First Peter 5.8 says that he roars as a lion, seeking whom he may devour. First John 3.8 says he sinned from the beginning. First John 3.12 says he's a murderer. First John 5.19 says that the whole, the, the whole world lies in his power. Revelation 12.9 says he deceives the whole world. And Revelation 12.10 calls him the accuser of the brethren. That's who we're dealing with. We're dealing with an enemy who has no truth, who has no scruples, who will do anything to try to get the upper hand. Satan needs to, we need to appreciate his kingdom and his cunningness. Satan, Satan is not just a bad guy running around causing trouble. He is that, but he's far more than that. Satan does things that the Bible calls wiles. I think that's from the King James Version in Ephesians 6. It says that we need to be aware of the devil's wiles or his schemes. And see, just as God works in history, so does Satan work in history. And Satan's plans, as well as God's plans, stretch from generation to generation. See, Satan has plans that he lays years in advance, 
perhaps centuries in advance. And he sows seeds that will eventually bring the desired result. And so we need to see the history as, as, as the record of the, of the conflict between good and evil. So that's what history, history is the story of the conflict between good and evil. Let me give you uh, some examples of Satan's wiles in the scripture. Number one is in the book of Exodus. And this is where Pharaoh enslaved Israel in Egypt for 400 years, hoping to prevent their return to the promised land. That was not just a political thing that happened, but that was a satanic trap. And he used the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, and because of his sin and rebellion and his heart that was set against God, he became a pawn in the hands of Satan to thwart God's purposes. In the book of Esther, number two, this wicked man Haman tried to destroy all the Jews. This is one of the first Jewish holocausts. Holocaust. There's been many of them in history. Is it any coincidence the Jews are always the ones that are picked on? Why is that? It's because, see, God has chosen them for a specific purpose. They're not, they're, they're not all chosen for salvation because that has to come through Christ. But they're chosen to be God's instrument in the earth, just as the church is chosen in the New Testament to be God's instrument. But that doesn't change the devil's plan to try to destroy them. And that's what Haman tried to do. He, tra- he, he got the king to sign an edict that, would, that they would in- exterminate all the Jews at that time. And, and due to... The, the heroic efforts of Mordecai and Queen Esther and prayer and fasting and intercession, that thing was broken and Haman got hung on his own gallows, who was planning to hang Mordecai. He got hung in his own trap. And see, that's what God delights in doing. God delights in springing the traps that Satan sets for people to, to make them backfire on himself. Like the roadrunner, you know? The roadrunner is always trying to, uh, what is it, Wiley? Yeah, yeah, Wiley Coyote always trying to get the road running and those things always backfire on himself. So that's what God wants to do. And if we'll walk in obedience and fight the battle, Satan's plans will backfire on himself. Third, in the, in the book of Daniel, Daniel's co-workers tried to plot against him by making a rule that you couldn't pray. And of course, Daniel was a devout man. Prayer was the only thing they could get him on. He was such a man of integrity and uprightness. And they tried to do away with him. And they, they devised this plot. And you guys, that plot was not just some wicked men thinking up a scheme. But that was a scheme that was planned in the very headquarters of hell in order to destroy Daniel and the role that he would play in changing history. Daniel's a tremendous man. And we'll study him um, in a couple of days as we look at the offensive role of prayer. And fourthly, Jesus, the Messiah, when he was... A little baby, Herod tried to kill the baby Jesus through a plan of exterminating all the children that were two years old and under. And that was a satanic plan. He used Satan used the wicked king Herod, but he executed his plans through that man to try to destroy the baby Jesus. That's in Matthew 2, 1 through 18. And number five, final, Satan's final Hour is going to be a one world government where he is literally going to be fill the person of the Antichrist and he's going to come down and rule and dominate the world for a season. See, that's Satan's ultimate goal. 
is he wants to make a world system that is totally in his control. And I believe we're moving very quickly towards that plan. All of, many of the signs and talk about one world government and one world order, one world economic system, one world language, and all these kinds of things with transportation and communication wrapping the world up into such a close knit community. We're seeing that where that, that's, that's going to take place. I don't know when it'll happen, but we see it moving in that direction. And that's Satan's ultimate objective. And finally, number six, Satan's wiles. In, in, in reference to Jesus and how Satan used people to try to destroy Jesus. In Luke twenty two fifty three, this is what Jesus says. He says, while I was with you daily in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this hour and the powers of darkness are yours. This is when they came to get him in the garden after Judas had betrayed him. Jesus recognized that it wasn't just the chief priests and the Romans, but Satan was behind the whole thing. And Jesus knew what was going to happen. He knew that he was going to be taken and crucified. And that was the Father's plan for him. He had, he had already gotten that straight in Gethsemane. He had already committed himself to going through with it. So Jesus knew what was going on. And he knew that was the Father's plan to defeat the powers of darkness. But see, Satan used those religious leaders. In Matthew 10, 15, excuse me, Mark 10, 15. This is Pilate speaking, and it says that he was aware that the chief priests had delivered him up because of envy. See, it was envy and jealousy that, let, that, that, that was the open door for Satan to use them. See, understand this, that Satan uses us when we are selfish and rebellious. See, when I, when I am willing to sin, when I am willing to do unrighteousness, Satan sees that, and he manipulates my actions in order to perpetuate his evil plans in the earth. Say, when I sin, I, I am like a pawn on a chessboard that Satan is masterminding and moving around. It's important that you, you, we understand that. That there is a mastermind of evil behind things that happen. That there's, there, there, there's, there is a whole hierarchy, which we're going to look at just in a moment, of evil that is being perpetuated in the earth. And it's when people give themselves to sin that they open themselves up to being used by the devil. In John 13, 2 and 27 through 30, we read where Satan entered into Judas. Satan literally entered into Judas. And this was such an important role that Satan himself came down and entered into the life of Judas. And you say, man, what, what did Judas do to get possessed by the devil. And you read in John 12 verses 4 through 6. That you get this comment. It is kind of almost a parenthetical comment about Judas. And it said that when Mary washed Jesus' feet with that expensive ointment. Judas is the one that made the, the big commotion about it. And saying that this money should have been used for the poor. And the scripture adds that Judas did not say that because he loved the poor. But he said it because he was a thief. And he was the treasurer and he was embezzling money from the collections that they would get. He was pocketing money of the disciples' provision. And see, it was that greed for money that opened him up to be used by Satan. See, Judas didn't even know what was key. He didn't understand fully what was going on. But that greed drove Judas to go to the chief priest and say, what will you give me for betraying this man? And he, they gave him 30 pieces of silver 
And he did it. And Satan accomplished his evil plan through the greed of this one man. And that's how Satan works in the earth. That's why, boy, the Bible has so much to say about leaders being righteous, not taking bribes. Because, you know, when you take bribes, not only are you perverting justice for that time, but you're giving the powers of darkness an entrance into history to, 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 to carry out their diabolical plans. That's why it's so important for all of us to be men and women of integrity, but especially in leadership. Because the more you emerge as a leader, the more of a target you are for the powers of darkness that you might do, what that, that they might use you to do their evil in the earth. In, in closing today, let's look at Ephesians 6. This is our prime passage on spiritual warfare. Let's begin with verse 10, Ephesians 6.10. Paul, after this brilliant letter, this brilliant exhortation to the Ephesians, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on, you, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. There's that word wiles or schemes. Those are designed, planned attacks. Designed, planned attacks. Cunning attacks. To, to destroy not only you personally, but to thwart the work of God in the earth. And then in verse 12, for our struggle, notice we're in a struggle, we're in a battle. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Would you say that with me? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. People are not the enemy. We need to understand this so clearly, you guys. People are not the enemy. Madeleine Murray O'Hare is not the enemy. Hitler is not the enemy. The purveyors of pornography are not the enemy. The ACLU, as ungodly as that bunch is, they are not our enemy. Who is the enemy? Satan and the powers of darkness that use the rebellion and ungodliness of people that is who the true enemy is. And it's so easy, see, for us to get sidetracked. We start hating these people. We start hating this person or that person for what they stand up for. And we get our focus wrong because Paul says, we're not battling against flesh and blood. We're not fighting people, but we are fighting spiritual powers. And then he goes on to describe here a whole hierarchy of Satan's kingdom. It says, but against rulers, against powers, against the forces of this darkness, the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Let me give you just a, a brief explanation here. This, the words that are used here in the Greek are words of order, and it, this describes a spiritual government. And what we see here is that Satan is the head of a spiritual hierarchy. He is the king of the, of the powers of darkness. And under him are beings, and under them are beings, just like in our government. We have the president, and we have the Congress, and then we have governors, and we have um, you know, county or sectional rep representatives, and then city commissioners. And we have this whole hierarchy of natural government. So that is true in the spiritual realm. And that's what these, rule, these, these describe here. The first level is called the rulers, and this is the Greek word arch, archus, and it means the first or preeminent ones. 
And they're defined as a series of rulers, leaders, magistrates, a hierarchy with rank and organization to deceive mankind. In the book of Daniel, chapter 10, we read where it appears that every nation has a principality over it. Every nation has a ruling spiritual principality. And Daniel, in his prayer, see, is fighting against the prince of Persia. And he's in this ba- he's in this prayer battle for 21 days. And he's praying and he's fasting. And finally, on the 21st day, the angel comes to him and says, Daniel, we came the very first day you started praying, but this prince of Persia detained us. Now, see, that's not talking about something in the natural. That was happening in the unseen spiritual realm. And I don't understand how all the warfare works. You know, I don't know whether they shoot laser guns like they did in Star Wars. And, you know, I don't know if people die when they're hit in the spiritual realm. But all all I know is it's a moral conflict. See, it's good against evil. God's forces against Satan's forces. And as, as Daniel stayed in that place of prayer and seeking God, it's like the angels got stronger and stronger. And then finally, they burst through that spiritual stronghold and they told Daniel that his prayers had been answered and the whole destiny of the nations was affected because the, the prince of Greece, the kingdom of Greece, was the next kingdom that emerged and, and Daniel's prayers had had a crucial role in that, that, in that political event happening. See, first of all, it had a, super, a spiritual cause. Then it was worked out in the natural. And so every nation has, I believe, has a principality over it. And, it. and it has inroads into the minds of people. It has inroads into the government, to the political leaders, all kinds of things that, were, that, that, that deal with that. And, and even like wars, wars are orchestrated by the powers of darkness to destroy mankind, to destroy people and all the untold horror that, that wars bring. They are orchestrated by the powers of darkness, trying to incite one country after another. It's no, it's no coincidence that Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4, that we're to first pray for all those in authority. See, we're to pray. Why should we pray for those in authority? Exactly. And they're the targets that Satan goes after. See, they're the ones that Satan can influence the president. He can influence the whole nation to some degree. See, And so that's why we're given the biblical mandate to pray for our leaders, whether they're Christian or not. We need to pray that they'll have insight and they'll make godly decisions, that they'll discern when, when the powers of darkness are trying to use them, and that God will override, even override their decisions, which God can certainly do. So, see, it's, it's essential that we understand the, this hierarchy that, that affects the natural realm. The second level is called powers, and this is the Greek word exousia, which means authorities. And it, it, these are just lesser authorities given, at, or these lesser rulers given authority to carry out the will of the magistrates or the ruler. So this is just another, a smaller level. And they do the work of, of carrying out the evil schemes that the powers of darkness are making. They manipulate people who are in rebellion to do their own will. There's a missionary named Mary Schumacher. She's an assemblies missionary, has been in India for many years. When she first went to India years ago, she was in prayer and fasting. 
And she was visited by a principality. It's a rare thing. They, they don't manifest themselves much. But in this case, God allowed this. And this principality came to her. And, and he said, I am the one that designed the caste system. And he says, I defy you to break it. The devil, this principality challenged this, this little woman of prayer to break the caste system. See, that's a demonic system that was created in hell to keep people in bondage. And the only way that thing's going to be broken is how? Through prayer, through the church, united prayer. That's the only way. How is apartheid going to be broken in South Africa? It's by prayer. That's the only possible solution. That's the only way that that can be broken. And that's true with every problem, every political problem. It essentially is a spiritual problem. And the church is the only one that has the keys to do that. The third level is called world forces of this darkness. And this is, this is the Greek word, cosmokratoros. And these are spiritual rulers intending to subjugate, dominate, manipulate, and blinding the world at large. Now let me give you some examples of how these work. In the, in the area of religions, like Islam, Hinduism, Mormonism, the Moonies, Transcendental meditation and other heathen religions and the occult. These are, these are false systems of philosophy that are perpetuated on mankind. And see, we're fighting a spiritual force when we fight against other religions. See, we're fighting a blindness. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that these people are demon-possessed. They're not. They simply are believing something that is not true but, but, it, but it's not just a matter of arguing them into what is right because the philosophies of false religions have spiritual power to entice and enslave people. See, the philosophies have mental power, spiritual power. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, that the devil blinds the minds of those who don't believe. So see, people, they, they have blinders on. They have corks in their ears so they can't really hear what we're saying. Until we deal with those in prayer. And the same with philosophies, communism. See, communism is basically a spiritual, um, it's a spiritual reality that people are immersed in. Humanism is the one that's in America. Humanism is not just another way of thinking. It is, it is a thing that has power. Ever tried to talk to someone who's bound by things like that? How you just don't feel like you get anywhere? See, that's because there's a spiritual thing. There's a spiritual key that has to be won in prayer before we can, before we'll be effective in communicating. Evolution. Evolution is, 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 is a spiritual deception that has, that has power over people. And it's, and it's very, very popular in America. And it's anti-God. It rejects God as being creator. And it has tremendous sway over people. So much so that many of the things, we just had this evolution seminar by a man named Dennis Peterson, and he just did a brilliant job of exposing many of the fallacies, intellectual fallacies, with the, the theories of evolution. Things that are just gaping. You look at me, you go, wow, that is, really takes a, a, a leap of faith to believe that. And yet you talk to people about it, and they'll, they don't even rationally, they won't even honestly look at it. Because they're deceived. See, they want to believe a lie. And so you're dealing with this kind of a slippery unwillingness to be open and honest. Have you found that with some people? This is like they won't be honest. They won't look at the facts. They've already made up their mind. 
See, it's not just that person's fault, but see, they've been influenced by the powers of darkness. And we need to deal with that in prayer so that they, they can begin to see things more clearly. Paul tells us in Colossians 2.8, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. So philosophies have power. And that's why we need to pray against the power of these philosophies. Let me say again, the people that are in false religions, false philosophies are influenced by the powers of darkness, but they're not possessed. You know, they still have a free will, but they're, see, they're, there's, there's, it's so hard to describe because these things are so intangible, but it's like, it's like they're, they've got blinders on. See, the devils put blinders over their eyes so they can't see reality. They're, they're, they're seen through distorted lenses. But when I pray and when I fast and intercede, God rips those things off and people kind of wake up and they start thinking, wow, what is this stuff? See, and then they, then they have to make a choice. Now, they still may well stay in what they're doing, but at least they've had an honest opportunity to make a choice. And if they still choose to rebel, that's their prerogative of human beings. But then it becomes rebellion and not just spiritual ignorance. See? And we've, that's why prayer and fasting opens, opens people's hearts. When, when we pray and fast, all of a sudden the gospel becomes an issue. You know, people start listening to what's being spoken. People get uptight about what the word that's being proclaimed. And, and there's an element of controversy that goes around. And see, that's the effect of prayer and fasting. Glorious things happen. The Islamic world, God is beginning to open the doors in the Islamic world. The Islamic world has been a very difficult thing for the church to penetrate. For, the, for 700 years, we have made very, very few Islamic converts. But people have been praying and fasting. There's a, there's a thing called the Juna Prayer Fellowship that every Friday noon, they're asking you to, to skip Friday lunch and to pray for the Islamic world. And God is beginning to do that. See, God is beginning to open doors into the Islamic world. Lots to do yet. But see, that's the response to prayer. And this is why when we, when we talk about our role as soldiers, see, it's not a matter of me just praying one time. Not a matter of me fasting for a week and then the problem's taken care of. But see, we're in a struggle. And it's going to take years of prayer to open up some missions field, mission fields. And that's where I talk about the cost. The cost of seeing God's victories in certain areas. It may take a lifetime of prayer to see some of the gates of darkness fall. That's why we've got to keep after it. We've got to keep prayer puts pressure on Satan. See, when we pray, somehow there's a moral pressure. And his forces, see, we start pushing against them. And, and, and they lose some of their influence. But, and they, they don't want to give ground, so they, they push back. See, that wrestling, that moral wrestling, that travailing, and that agony that we feel in prayer. See, that's what's going on. How many of you have tried to fast and have found temptation not to fast? Is there any question about whether there's a spiritual battle? Try and fast. Oh, boy. You know the first thing. Excuse me. But that's, that's the realm where, where, where we've got to work against the powers of darkness. One other thing is in the area of money. Money is one of the great ruling forces in the world today. Paul says in 1 Timothy 6.10 that the love of money is the root of all evil. We would be 
we would be astounded if we understood what goes on with people that have vast amounts of money. Money, People like the Rockefellers, Rothschilds. I think the Judgment Day, we will be appalled at what happened. What, what People with money, what they've done in the earth. Even as far as starting wars, pitting one side against another in order to make money. I think money is a tremendous ruling force in the world today. And we need to pray. That's another thing. We need to pray against. And we need to say, God, here's my resources. They might not be much, but I want to use my resources towards your glory. Brady in his his elective on popular materialism really, really hits this issue that when we don't use money in a godly way, we use it in a satanic way. See, we we further Satan's kingdom if we are not actively furthering God's kingdom with our resources and with our money. Satan accuses God of being unfair and stingy. And Satan says, God, why don't you, you know, why don't, don't you care about the hungry people in the world? Why don't you do something about it? And God says, watch my people. And you see what they do. And that's why the Bible has so much to say about the poor and the needy and why the church and why we as individuals are to care for the poor and the needy. Because it, it's a living testimony against the powers of darkness. See, that we don't use our money for selfish gain, to, just to, to live affluently and comfort and, you know, to be comfortable. But we use our money for the highest purpose, and that's for people that are created in the image of God. So that's a glowing testimony in the, in the light of a dark and a sinful world. What do people use money for? Themselves, don't they? You get a little extra money, you think about, what can I buy? Boy, that's not God's way. And probably we as American Christians are more guilty because we have more resources than any other nation in the world. The Christians, we as Christians, even us poor college kids and poor campus pastors, poor in quotes here now, we have more resources than than a lot of people have ever had. And God says, what are you going to do with them? Are you going to use them according to my values and, and extend my kingdom? Or are you going to live the way the world and Satan lives? And then the final area is, is, is another area that's a great ruling force. It's, it's like in the area of Hollywood and media and advertising. The media puts forth images and challenges us to be like the images that are put forth. You know what peer pressure is, don't you? We all live with peer pressure. I believe peer pressure is manufactured in the powers of darkness in order to manipulate and control people. The Bible says that in 1 John 5, 19, that the whole, the whole world system lies in the power of the evil one. And when we try to make it in the world, we're, we're playing the devil's game. We try to be popular, try to earn recognition by, by what we do or by who we are and play all the world's games. That's Satan's game and we're right in his hands. And God's kingdom is a whole different ballgame, way of relating, way of loving and accepting one another, affirming and all the things that the scripture tells us to do. We need to be aware of that because the whole social game is in the hands of Satan. And we need we need not to we need to not play that. And we need to understand that Satan rules through fads and fashions and by what the crowd or the group is doing. Say so it's 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 a way of manipulating and dominating people. And God wants us to stand against that. And then finally in closing here, the fourth level is spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And these, again, are lesser beings. And I think this is probably where the demons fit in. 
See, the, these principalities are majestic, strong powers that, that per- perpetuate plans that Satan, he, he devises evil. See, he, he comes up with evil plans that he, that, that he wants to work and to operate in the earth. And then all these lesser beings carry out those orders. And then all the way down to the demons, and they're just the little henchmen, you know. They, they just run around harassing people. So don't, don't ever be afraid of demons, you know. I mean, they're just, they're just little things that nip, nip all the time. And, you know, and they'll, and they'll, to the degree that you listen to them, that's the degree that they'll try to run you around. They lie. They, they, they you know, speak things like rejection. They speak against God's word. They try to incite thoughts of pride. You know, it's like they just try to communicate the things that Satan would want us to do. And we all have to deal with that. Some of the alternate translations from other translations of this phrase are master spirits of this dark world, spiritual agents from the very headquarters of evil, and huge numbers of wicked spirits in the spirit world. I'm pretty sure if we saw the entirety of Satan's kingdom, we would be uh, probably rightfully afraid. We would be pretty awestruck at what really goes on in the heavenly places. But God protects us. See, God only allows what we can handle into our lives. But it would be, I, I, I'm sure it would be rather terrifying for us to see the evil that goes on. And how much more evil would go on if God did not limit what the powers of darkness can do. You think of the atrocities in history that have happened. You know, I mean, just there's un, so many terrible things. All of those are perpetuated by the powers of darkness. This hijacking and murdering those 17, 18 people in that plane. That's a plot from hell that use these terrorists. See, they're in rebellion. They hate and they want to get out. And so Satan uses that, see, to bring evil upon the earth and to take peace and security away from the earth. See, that's a manifestation of the powers of darkness, working through people in rebellion to God. So the enemy is Satan, not people. You need to keep that in mind. John 18, 36, Jesus said, after Peter had cut off the ear of the slave, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting that I might be delivered up, that I might not be delivered up. But, but as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. And so we fight, but we don't fight the physical battle that the world does. We fight the battle of prayer. And so the, the lesson, the one thing I want you to gain today is to realize who our true enemy Thank you for listening to the Dick Schroeder Podcast. For more teaching and discipleship resources from Dick, visit fatherheartministries.net. 